Hello there. I'm Colleen. I'm Anders. And I'm Daniel. We're three nerds that met through our love of science fiction and fantasy storytelling. Of course, one of our favorites is George Lucas's signature achievement, Star Wars. And if there's one thing the internet definitely doesn't have enough of, it's nerds talking about Star Wars. So here we are with yet another Star Wars podcast, where each week we discuss one of the films in the current Star Wars canon. From the sands of Tatooine to the levels of Coruscant, we cover it all. Yet another Star Wars podcast is available wherever you get your podcast and is part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. Hey, Field Hang 10, watch out for a new wave of episodes for Forgotten Cinema Season 9, Forgotten Summer. Ugh, really, Butler, a theme season? Let me guess, we're going to talk about films that were released in the coveted summer months that for some reason seem to be forgotten by audiences. You know it, bro. What we liked about them or maybe didn't, but we'll always recommend people check them out. Maybe they'll find their own Forgotten Summer gem. So check out Forgotten Summer wherever you get your podcast, part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. Hold on, gotta catch this wave. We're sitting at desk in the recording booth. Uh, Cora, before you go, will you tell Miss Laura goodbye? Do what now? I said tell Miss Laura goodbye. Bye, Miss Laura. Welcome back to another week here on Forgotten Entertainment of On the QT. I'm John. And I'm Lloyd. And we are getting to the end of our uh, stretch of episodes here, getting closer and closer to the most current Quentin Tarantino film, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But we are still, what, three back at this point. This week, we're talking Django. Unchained. Django. <laughs> the D is silent. Um, <laughs> the Django. The, yeah, the Django. <laughs> you son of a bitch. <laughs> All right. So. I had a thought, right? Before we introduce okay. the guest, I had a thought, Lloyd, that I had never really put together about the last four Tarantino movies, starting with last week's episode, Inglorious Bastards, going through Django, going through next week's Hateful Eight, and then the final Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. He is right, only period movies. All of these are period movies in one way, shape, or form. He has not made a movie in what would be considered present time since Death Proof. Yeah, you're right. You know, you are he, absolutely right. I mean, I've noticed that, but, you know, I didn't really think of it as his period movie phase or anything. Yeah. I mean, well, he's technically, you know, uh, World War Two, uh, pre-Civil War, post-Civil War and then 1960s. So I just I thought that was interesting. I never I know, obviously, he had the two Westerners in a row, but I just never put it together that he had put four out in a row um, that were yep. all essentially period pieces. So before we get into the movie, we got to get into the guest uh, this week from SWO productions, uh, which is a wonderful website. Go check it out. SWOproductions.com. And he has a biweekly podcast, the stew world order podcast. You may know him. If you listen to our main show, pine and comics, he has been on many times. He is a collaborator. He is a guest. It is Rob Stewart, but we're not calling him that. We're just going to call him stew stew stew. What's going on, man? Oh, it's another day. This is you've made me watch Django Unchained. So I am now up to six Quentin Tarantino movies. And you actually helped me. My very first question on the show was going to be, I don't know what order any of these movies came out in. I didn't realize Django was so close to the end. So now <laughs> I do, because you just said it was uh, Bastards, this hateful eight. And then then once upon a time in Hollywood, I was unaware. 
I know Reservoir Dogs was first. I know Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was last, but like everything from <laughs> what happened Kill in Bill, between. Yeah, everything from Kill Bill through this could have been in any order. You could have told me like it went Django, then Kill Bill 2, then Inglorious Bastard, then Kill Bill 1. I'd be like, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> Stu believes anything you tell him, by the way. <laughs> um, yeah, I except mean, about boiled dinner. Don't believe that. Yes, you have to. Oh, I had a boiled dinner tonight, man. <laughs> That's terrible. I, yeah, it was vile. <laughs> All the people not in New England are going, what the hell's a boiled dinner? We'll explain it later. We'll explain it later. Release date, December 25th, 2012. This is QT's second Christmas movie. Uh, Jackie Brown, uh, December 25th, 1997. Merry, yeah. Merry Christmas, motherfuckers. So all of you people out there. <laughs> now, Stu, uh, before we get into everything, we've been now you said obviously you've only seen six of his films so that might give us an idea but we've been asking all of our guests about their level of fandom with tarantino um i think quentin tarantino is the most uneven filmmaker that i've watched because like i said i've seen six of his movies now and i have two poor two 4.5s a 3.5 a 2.5 and two 1.0s like this to me this guy is all over the map i like some of his stuff a great deal some of it i think is really pretentious and it occurred to me while watching django i don't think quentin tarantino gets enough credit for this he is as bad at self-indulgence and not knowing when to reel himself in as Zack snyder Okay. All right. He just makes stuff and, and I'll get into it. Trust me heavily in this movie, but he just makes stuff. And it's just like, no guy, no, someone should edit this. Someone should not let you have carte blanche to do all this. Now, Manster, he just said that he had two 1.0s. Do you want to take a bet as to whether we think Django is one of the 1.0s right now? Mm, I'm going to say no. I'm going to go with yes. I'm going to go with yes. And this is based solely on just guessing so that'll be fun for the end uh that'll be fun for the end um this thing was filmed all over the place jackson hole wyoming uh edgard louisiana new orleans louisiana all throughout california it was made between january 25th 2012 and july 27th uh 2012 manster before we get into the cast why don't you give it the good old-fashioned manster bumper sticker <laughs> That's a thing, though. We should uh, like copyright <laughs> that. Uh, let's see. A- after a German bounty hunter frees a slave and trains him how to the fine art of killing for money, uh, they set out to rescue his wife, the slave's wife, uh, from a plantation owner in Mississippi. All right, that succinct to the that point. Is. That would fit right next to my kid is an honor student on the back of a minivan. I'll tell you what, Lloyd, if you make that as a bumper sticker, I will buy it. I don't put bumper stickers on my car, but I'll put it somewhere. All right. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right, Manster, let's get into it. Let's get into the cast of uh, 2012's Django Unchained. Yeah, there's a lot of people in here and I don't want to discount too many. So. Jamie Foxx as Django Freeman. He is a freed slave. Um, he is King Schultz's partner as a bounty hunter. He is a husband in search for his wife. Originally written for and offered to Will Smith. I heard that. I, I got a bunch sure of names. Whether that was 100% true or not. Will, yeah, Will, I heard Will Smith turned it down because it wasn't a lead role. He said straight out, I have to play the lead. Now, this. jeez. Oh, now, honestly, think about it. This had to have been in like 2012 because Will Smith can't pull that shit anymore. Um, <laughs> he wasn't even I'm the not lead. sure he could still have pulled that in 2012. I, I'll be honest. I think that was maybe he was fooling himself at that point. Like, I think he was. Yeah at the point of his career where he didn't want to admit that he couldn't be a leading man anymore because he was he, for a good 10 years, he was a leading man, but 
I always, I always laugh when I, and I did, that was the quote he actually said, I, I, I had to be the leading man and he didn't feel like he was the leading man. Yeah. Who else? Who else? I know That's the crazy. one other All one. Right. So here's some other names. Uh, Michael K. Williams. Yep. Guess mm. from the wire. Idris Elba. Oh yeah. Quentin Tarantino personally took out because uh, he's British and he felt this was an American story. Acting. <laughs> Acting. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, it's his right. Chris Tucker. Oh God. Yeah, right. God, that and, would be terrible. Uh, one more Terrence Howard. Yeah. yeah. The, and did you you know the one that lobbied for it hard and didn't and uh yeah, that was Cuba Gooden Jr. Cuba Gooden oh. I didn't even put him on my list. <laughs> yeah, he lobbied hard and he took it apparently very hard when Tarantino didn't even Cuba. give him the time of day. <laughs> right, right. Uh moving on, we have Christoph Waltz as Dr. King Schultz. Uh he is a dentist turned bounty hunter. <laughs> You will remember him from the evil Hans Landa in Inglorious Bastards. He is as good in this movie as he is fucking evil in the last one. Yeah, <laughs> like, boy, he goes the opposite direction here. And that was yeah. sort of part of his thing. So uh, he initially didn't want to play Schultz because of his character. And he didn't want to be sort of pigeonholed or whatever. Um, but he did agree under one condition that the character had to have pure motivations and never once act in a negative or evil manner. All right. Yeah. And the dentistry bit is a little bit of historical, uh, I guess, tie in because Doc Holliday was a dentist as well. That's and that's right. that's why they chose that whole little bit. And it, it, funnily enough, I thought I didn't know this until reading about it the other day. The reason in the first 40 minutes of the movie, he's riding a stagecoach and not a horse is because when they were training for the movie, he fell off his horse and dislocated his pelvic bone. So yeah, by the right. time he healed, he couldn't ride a horse again for a few months. <clears throat> so they had to adjust his character riding the stagecoach until he got good enough to to ride a horse again, which I thought was which was funny. great. I love the stagecoach with that. I'll be honest. I thought it just worked for his character. I just yeah, thought it, it made great. sense because if you're a bounty hunter and you are literally collecting bodies, you've got a nice little box to put them in. Yeah, it absolutely it works story wise, and it worked. Uh, like you said, with the the, the tooth on the top of the spring, <laughs> yeah, it was very cool. Yeah, very cool. Uh, then we have Leonardo DiCaprio as Monsieur Calvin J. Candy, the Candyland plantation owner, purveyor of Mandingo fighters, and a brutal bastard. <laughs> piece of shit. Yeah, total piece, piece of, of shit. shit. The we talked about it in the last episode. He was the first choice to play Hans Landa yes. in the Glorious Bastards, and he ended up not. So Tarantino offered him this role. This is the first movie in 16 years at that point that he was not the lead name on the marquee or in the film either. Oh wow. 16 years, a long time. 16 years, yeah. And he kills it in this film. Oh, yeah. Abby, he's great. He I I've always liked DiCaprio. I think there's a lot of people that don't. I think there's a lot of people that think of him as a face more than a good yeah. actor. Yeah. There and is. I think he's really good in this movie. I, you know, I'll spoil it a little bit. I think he's even better in once upon a time in Hollywood, but I think he's great in this movie and he plays a petulant fucking asshole in this movie. Yeah. To like <laughs> no extent. He's, he's got really good affectations, you know, yeah. in this movie and especially in that movie. I think one of the best character moments for him in this movie and it's, it's, the opposite of what it should be. It's you're being told something instead of being shown something, but it's whenever the one character says, 
call him Monsieur Candy. And yeah. uh, uh, Christoph Waltz says something in French, and they're like, no, don't speak French to him. He doesn't no, speak no, no. French. <laughs> they, well, they, do it. Him off. they do it multiple times in the movie where he's clearly wrong about something, mm-hmm. and, and he just goes with it. Like that whole, there's the whole scene where he has the conversation about phrenology. And yes, and, and I was reading, I mean, it, he, he comes across as kind of uninformed there anyways, but apparently phrenology as a, a legitimate medical science was already uh, discarded by medical professionals like 15 years prior it's total bullshit (laughs) so here he is you know with the dimples in the skull and just fucking ranting on because he's a fucking idiot (laughs) yeah yeah and he actually uh really hated this character he he didn't like it but he really went for it 100 in my opinion tarantino says it's the this is a guy who created hans landa i was gonna say yeah who would you consider the worst of the two Tarantino yeah. says that he thinks Candy is the most vile character he's uh, he's ever created. And it's it's tough because Hans Landa is such a huge piece of shit, too. But Hans Landa is a brilliant dude. Right. Yeah. He's he's an incredible detective. So, like, you could almost say he's got some qualities about him that make him a more interesting character. Calvin Candy is just a dickhead. Yeah. He's just, yeah. He's just a rich kid who you know, you know, you're introduced to him watching two men beating each other up in his living room, like, like a, like an asshole. Oh, yeah. He's Joaquin Phoenix in uh gladiator. Yeah. Yeah. Essentially he is. Uh, then we have Carrie Washington as Broomhilda, uh, Hilde von Shaft. That's Django's wife. Uh, she was sold separately from their original plantation. She speaks German and she resides at Candyland. She's in the hot box. She was also Jamie Foxx's wife in the movie Ray. Yes. Yep. yep. Oh, okay. Husband it's been so long wife. since I've seen Ray. I don't think I knew who she was when I saw it. Yeah. Now I see her and it's like, oh, that lady from TV. <laughs> Samuel L. Jackson as Stephen Warren, the number one house slave for Calvin. Piece of shit. <laughs> Piece of shit. Yeah. Oh, my God. But uh, he's great in this, too. They, they make a comment in the movie and... uh essentially it's I, I obviously will not use the language but they make they make a comment about how the house man yeah <laughs> is is possibly worse than anybody else in the hierarchy of of you know they because there's black yeah, slavers they said that, yeah they said that the that's as bad as the black slaver or worse yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. and steven in- is uh is just he's a gross character and he's he's evil and he's he, he his makeup makes him look like such a fucking like he looks like such a worm you know he does he's just so hateable but he has great interactions with calvin the way he talks to calvin with you know he's uh what do you say when he when calvin comes back he's like did you miss me he goes yeah like a baby misses it misses a titty yeah Uh, (laughs) like i miss a rock in my shoe (laughs) not just that but he also you know, this is a slave, whether or not he is of yeah, the upper, I mean. yep. whether or not he is of the upper level of slaves, if there are levels of slaves. But like at one point, he tells Calvin to meet him in the library and he's sitting in there drinking and telling him what's going on. Yeah. yeah. And and he listens to him like yep. it's this weird fucking slavery, man. This whole thing, like the whole thing was so hard to kind of watch again and mm-hmm. to kind of like to, it sounds so stupid, but just. Just think, even though this is more of a revenge kind of almost exploitation type movie, just like having to watch the nastiness of that time period is it's thick. It's very uh, elastic, historically elastic. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. 
then we have Walton Goggins as Billy Crash, uh, basically a fighting trainer for the slaves. Walton Goggins. See, this is my this this is my uh, slogan for Walton Goggins. I think I used that on a show recently. Walton Goggins, all eyes, all teeth. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah which, that's right. Uh, now, a little funny story about this is this character Billy Crash was an amalgamation of other characters. Yep. One of them being uh, a character called Ace Woody, who was originally going to be Kevin Costner, hmm. but then when he couldn't do it, it was going to be Kurt Russell, and Kurt Russell wouldn't do it. So they just took that character and merged it into Billy Crash. Uh, and that's where Walton Goggins comes in. Yeah. Billy Crash was supposed to be a much smaller. Well, I mean, he's small in the movie anyway, but a much smaller character. Yeah. And Ace Woody was supposed to be like the head of um, the, the head the, Mandingo trainer, the Mandingo trainer. And like, you know, I, I don't want to use this word incorrectly, but like uh, muscle slash wrangler for Calvin Candy. And like the scenes uh, where he has Django um, upside down at the end and he's going to castrate him. That was supposed to be Ace Woody. And when Costner and Russell couldn't do it, he just said, fuck it. And just gave that to essentially gave took that role out and just combined it with uh, Goggins. Yep. Then we have Dennis Christopher as Leonide Mogi. That's Calvin Candy's traveling lawyer. Oh, okay. Yeah. They call him, I didn't call know any Leo. of those names you said. Yeah. <laughs> and then when you described his job, I was like, oh, that guy. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll describe who each one is. <laughs> it, it was a little, you know, it was a lot of uh, uh, research for me because the character names, I know Django, <laughs> I know King Schultz, I know Candy. I I, you know, King Schultz, at least all of my notes for his character are just Christoph Waltz. <laughs> <laughs> Dennis Christopher on Pine of Comics. We recently did our top 10 favorite sports movies. He was the lead in uh, in the bicycling racing film Breaking Away. He was oh, the, uh, fancy. Oh, did I get Lloyd? Lloyd that was him? That. That's him. <laughs> Damn, he got him. me. Yeah. And he, he also was me. he was also the lead character in the horror classic uh, Fade to Black. That's absolutely him. Yep. yep. Then we have James Remar as Butch Pooch slash Ace Spec. Uh, Butch Pooch, he's the bodyguard of Calvin Candy. He's the one who kills King Schultz uh, after he refused to shake hands you know, and after he kills <laughs> Candy himself. And then the other character, Ace Spec, is the traveling owner of Django when he was uh, on the chains. He's, I was going to say that, that confused the, the hell out of me. I was like, yeah. wait. Didn't that guy die? Yeah. I was like, did I mistaken? <laughs> was I wrong that he died? And now he's just with candy. That's, that's okay. So those eye, were though. two it's different characters, two different yeah. characters. Okay. Actor. And it, it, well, it, Hey, you don't just forget Raiden from mortal Kombat annihilation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I do. <laughs> hacky sack, hacky sack Raiden. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I find it weird when like, for no reason, Tarantino gives someone two roles. Like, yeah, there, there was nobody else that could have played one or the other. And then to make it even more confusing is that um, Butch uh, was named Butch, 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 that character. He has a double barrel shotgun. It's the same weapon that Ace carries in the beginning. That's so right. Obviously, yeah. he gets killed and you know, he gets <clears throat> killed. But like you, you not only you hire the same actor, you give him the same you gun, give him the same weapon. <laughs> yeah, you're you're going to get some people going. Did that guy survive? Yeah, that can't be. No, I definitely guy. did. I definitely just assumed like, oh, he must have run off on his horse and I just totally missed it. David Steen as Mr. Stone Cipher. He is the uh, slack jawed runaway slave wrangler who captures um, D'Artagnan. D'Artagnan. D'Artagnan, yeah, the escaped slave, uh, and then release the dogs on him. That fucking bastard. That and he gets, his, he gets his in the end. 
he gets shot while he's in the cabin. He's the guy who's naked. He kills them all. He kills them all. And I mean, not not to jump ahead of the cast list, but that whole crew is yeah. littered with like with cameos. You've got Tom. Yeah, I'll Savini. go through all that. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, also in consideration for that was Sid Haig. Yes. Oh, nice. Did you read the thing about what he did to Sid Haig? Yeah, he like took him out on purpose because Sid turned down a role. Yeah. So Tarantino offered Sid Haig the job of Stone Cipher, made it official, had like contacted his agency. And then when Haig called back to confirm, he told him I, I was just it was a practical joke. I was just kidding. It was a way to get back at him because apparently Sid Haig was offered the role of Marcellus Wallace in Pulp Fiction right. and turned it down. Yeah. That's Tarantino. That's some that's petty some, bullshit. That's some bullshit there, man. Yeah. yeah. We're, we're learning more and more about Tarantino besides the fact that he, he just wants to stick his dick in between someone's feet. <laughs> but besides <laughs> that, he just he sometimes comes across as a real douchebag. Yeah. That's for sure. Then we have Laura Kiowet as Lara Lee Candy Fitzwilly. That would be Calvin's incestuous sister. Yeah. That yeah. was my opinion of her. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they're definitely fucking. Yeah. Uh, someone considered for that uh, was Lady Gaga. Yeah, <laughs> I read that. I read that. Yeah. Next, we have Atu Asando. Forgive me if I'm saying that wrong. He's uh, D'Artagnan, the runaway slave uh, fighter who was uh, oh, so horribly mauled by dogs. And that was cut down. Tarantino, yeah, was, uh, yeah. Tarantino had a rougher version of this movie passed for an R. And after he showed it to test audiences, he purposely cut the violence down in a couple scenes. The D'Artagnan dog attack scene and the um, the shootout with uh, with Candy's men after after Django um, is, you know, let loose in the house. And you that that scene, I mean, that was that bothered me. I was like, this is really, really indulgent. There's no need for all this. But then it does come into play later on towards the end of the movie. Yes. When you yeah. see it as a flashback in. um in King Schultz's, you know, memory. Yeah, I honestly, I'll be honest. I felt like the scene where they show Schultz flashing back to it was kind of forced. Yeah, but I understood why they did it because they, they you have to you have to know how he hates this guy and yeah. how he how sick he is of the situation. I mean, he is, you know, Schultz goes into the whole the whole charade of going in to buy you know, uh, Eskimo Joe with full gumption and, you know, he's selling it Oh as yeah. soon as soon as they get called out, he's saying the N word, you yeah. know, here, uh, he, as soon as they get called out, he does not even attempt to hide his contempt for candy. No, like no, nope. not, not even a little bit, not even like mm-hmm. to the point of I'm going to try to save us now. He is just like, you know, you're, you're the fucking worst. Yeah. And I hate your guts. <laughs> yeah. Very admirable. Uh, then we have Don Johnson as Spencer Big Daddy Bennett uh, slash Colonel Sanders. <laughs> <laughs> he is the owner of the Bennett Manor <laughs> plantation in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. Uh, and he is employing the Brittle Brothers, who they are out looking for at that part of the film. You know what I like about that part of the film is that you get Don Johnson TV's Sonny Crockett. Yeah. And then you get Jamie Foxx, the movies, Ricardo. Oh, movies. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Crockett and Tubbs. Uh, then we have Franco Nero as Emerigo Vesepi. Uh, Franco Nero, that's the owner of the losing Mandingo fighter. Yes. In that, mm-hmm. in that terrible fight uh, who pays Calvin 10 bucks. 10 bucks. That actor, Franco Nero, he was in the original Django movie. Oh, okay. 
Yep. Yeah, from the 60s. Yep. We have Tom Wopat, who is uh, Bo Duke. Bo Duke. As uh, U.S. Marshal Gil Tatum. He's in that uh, town named after uh, the rock band Daughtry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm pretty sure that's it was named after them. <laughs> uh, Bruce Dern as Old Man Karakan. Uh, just seen in a flashback. Uh, he's the owner of the plantation where Django came from. He's got those yeah, cool fucking glasses. Cool yeah, shades, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yep. All right. Now I'm going to like name a, like a bunch of people together. Uh, so you got MC Gainey, Cooper Huckabee, who played Buzz in the Funhouse. That's right. I saw his name that and I went, that's Funhouse Buzz. Yeah, yeah. That's Funhouse Buzz. And Doc Duham or Duhame as the Brittle Brothers. You have Jonah Hill as Baghead number two, <laughs> <laughs> uh, a masked white supremacist. So he was supposed to be a character named Scott Harmony, who was basically a gambler who loses Broomhilda to candy in a poker game. There was a whole uh, half hour section of the, of the script yep. that was supposed to take place in this poker game, which thank Christ they didn't do that. <laughs> um, is You know, it, it, that's indulgent, but yeah, he, he owned Broomhilda and it was supposed to be a flashback to show how candy won her and then murdered him because he cheated at a, uh, or yeah. had him murdered. And then yeah. when Jonah Hill couldn't do it, someone um, else, uh, who is it? Um, Yeah. Then we have the Candyland trackers, Zoe Bell, Michael Bowen, Robert Carradine, Jake Garber, Ted Neely, James Parks, and Tom Savini. Yeah. Okay. I was, there was a guy that you just saw enough of that I kept looking at and thinking, is that Savini? Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't a hundred percent sure. Okay. Same thing. Yep. Uh, and we'll get into it later, I think, but there's a story about the Zoe Bell character. Yeah, there's a whole, like a whole, her whole origin story and they yeah. didn't put it in the movie. It's like, what the fuck? Are, why are we trying to make this the longest thing ever? <laughs> you never <laughs> see her have, face. Yeah. You don't see her face in, uh, well, I guess we can talk about it now. Uh, the costume designer had a bunch of costumes that, you know, didn't really come to fruition, but Zoe Bell's only costume was basically, you know, bandana over her face. So you only ever see her eyes. Uh, and basically she was supposed to reveal that she had no jaw. Oh, jeez. Uh, uh, all right. Passed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, thank you for not giving me 10 minutes of that. The LaQuint Dickey Mining Company employees. These are the ones at the end <laughs> where, yeah. uh, you know, the Django's back in a cage uh, getting charted, uh, carted out. So that would be Michael Parks, John Jarrett, and Quentin Tarantino. Tarantino with a fake Australian accent. Yep. John Jarrett, who is famous for Wolf Creek with a real Australian accent. And then Michael Parks as a Southern guy. He's the only <laughs> non. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't even, attend. they're like, just go with your regular accent. Just go <laughs> with it. Yeah. You just, you just made these Australian friends. It's fine. I know we're going to talk about this movie and I know we're going to jump around because that's what we do. I want to go right to the Quint Dickey scene yeah. as being, if I was an editor, that whole fucking bit would be gone. Yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> That's it. That was my biggest takeaway from this movie is I remember watching this movie and I kept hitting pause and being like, how is there this much time left in this movie? Yeah. And then you get to the end and Christoph Waltz shoots Candy and Candy's men shoot Christoph Waltz and Django surrenders. And everything after that point does not need to be in this movie. Yeah. Yeah, that, right. The movie should have ended with 
Christoph Waltz shoots him. They shoot Christoph Waltz. They have the shootout. He and Broomhilda managed to escape Candyland and that's it. Like everything after that was so extraneous. And I was like, what are you doing, movie? I, I totally agree with all that. I, I think that things that happened should have happened. But my, when you pause it at the point where, uh, you know, uh, Django uh, surrenders or, or finally, you know, like runs out of bullets, whatever happens. And you realize there's like 40 minutes left. And like, okay, so he's going to be captured here. They're going to mess with him. He gets away from that. They sell him off. And then the three stupidest fucking guys on earth <laughs> that he runs into are these three guys. And I just, yeah. I felt, you know, I saw, I've seen this movie once before and I don't remember one way or the other how I felt about this scene in this viewing. I went, how fucking stupid was all of that? You know, that whole bit. I, I like the idea that he let the other slaves kind of, you know, he left them open to go. And I like that. But his whole interaction with these and they're and they give him a gun. Yeah. Yeah. That <laughs> yeah. Was, yeah. I was going to say that was my biggest takeaway when I was done with this movie was there was so much stuff in this movie that I wanted to remember that I wanted to think about. But like, I know going forward, anytime I think of Django Unchained, I'm going to be like, oh, it's that movie that had half an hour at the end that did not need to be there whatsoever. And it was so disappointing. I just I just like in my mind to just get rid of that last half hour. I would have rather had the poker scene that you talked about. I'd have rather had the scene where he wins Broomhilda in the poker game than just take out all the, the, the mining stuff at the end. Yeah, Mm. I I agree. I don't want anything added to this movie because, (laughs) because, because life is finite. Take away first. And I I only have so much time, but yes, if, if, if you can edit this uh, down from the last half hour and get like, I still want that last scene. I want the Candyland explosion. I want all that. But like, I don't want the LeQuint Dickey Mining Corporation yeah. at all. Just at do all. the just do the explosion scene. Just cut out all the mining stuff and just be like, oh, he never left Candyland. That's part of their plan to blow up Candyland on their way out and save Broomhilda. That's all you need. That's all yeah. you need. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Let, let's ha- let's head towards the beginning of this thing, though. That's and uh, yeah. And so right off the bat, I mean, I guess. You know, we just got done watching *Glorious Bastards*, which, by the way, is Stu's favorite of the six Tarantino films he's seen. It is. Uh, if you've checked out on uh, YouTube, Forgotten Entertainment, the videos we've been doing. Uh, yes, Lloyd. I would like to change my prior vote and say that yes, this is the this is the one for Stu. <laughs> this is the one, right? The yeah. 1.0, exactly. 1.0 rating. Yeah, yeah I'd like to change that now. <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there. Um, but I, I, okay, fine. You won't owe me a dinner or anything if we're both. If we're I won't. Right. Yeah. <laughs> a beer. Um, so we just got done watching Inglorious Bastards, which is all about Nazi, you know, occupied France and a very dark time in American history. And now we move into another very dark period in American history. Obviously, the American South. Uh, Quentin Tarantino does not call this a Western. He calls this a Southern. Southern. He says yeah. this is a Southern story. Not that makes a, more not, sense. It's, it's not a Western. And this really is. This is steep in Mississippi and Louisiana and, you know, the slave trade and, and all that ugliness. I guess I'm going to go and ask you guys right off the bat. How do you feel about a film 
like this. I'll ask you first. A revenge thriller set against a slavery background, written and directed by a white guy. Written and directed by a white guy who has shown a propensity for using the N-word in his movies, even when he doesn't need to. Um, I'm fine with it. Some of these movies work better than others, and we'll get to what I think about this one at the end. Uh, what was the one that came out last year? Antebellum? That was terrible. I didn't like that at all. That was like a horror, right? That was a horror. Yeah, that yeah. was a horror, and it was weird and uh, time displaced, and it it seemed to false kind of advertise what it was going to be. I didn't care for that. Uh, I, I mean, it can work. It's probably a little bit problematic that it's written and directed by a white guy, but I mean, this movie at this point is however old this movie is nine, ten years. So, I mean, probably if you tried to remake it now, people would be like, "No, we need a black director for this. There should probably be a black screenwriter," and that would make sense. Um, yeah, I mean, I just don't have a problem with it in theory because all the people that are shitheads are treated as shitheads. Like at no point do you ever feel empathy for Candy. Like you said, I mean, even even Hans Landa seemed like he had good traits in this movie. No, Candy's just a, a shitheel the entire time. So, I mean, yeah. if, if you're making the objectively terrible people objectively terrible, I mean, that's as much as you can do. All right, Lloyd, what about you? Well, I mean, Stu pretty much said everything that I was thinking. Uh, all the violence, you know, obviously it's a violent film. Uh, it's his trademark kind of. And the cartoon violence all was towards the slave owners and people of that nature. And all the violence toward the slaves was all just terrifying violence. You know, that's a good catch. I didn't yeah. I didn't even realize that. No, that's a really good take. Like, yeah, yeah. The, the slave owners get shot. and It's like a funny little like boof of blood that comes out of their head. Exactly. But yeah. No, when the slaves are getting attacked, it's it's brutal and, and terrible. Yeah, right. that's a good catch. Dog attacks, whippings. Yeah, mm -hmm. we see, you know, uh, one guy, you know, during the Mandingo fight, he essentially puts his thumbs through the other guy's through his head, eyes. Through yeah. his eyes. Yeah. 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 Uh, you know, that's, that's, that is a great catch. And I wonder, I mean, I, I'd have to say it must be on purpose to kind of, you know, but what does oh, that yeah. say? What, what does it say? Yeah, there's where, no doubt that it's on purpose. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, have you ever seen a gun battle with, you know, and we've seen movies that are uh, hyper realistic, but like that final gun battle, the, the, the blood, the geysers of blood in that gun <laughs> yeah, battle. Yeah, the geysers, every, every mm -hmm. shot. And, and then the two, the couple people who are just blown across the room, even though they're not even getting a direct shot at them. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, Candy's sister has the best yeah. stuff in this movie. Yeah, that was just, uh, <laughs> you can almost see the wire just pull her back. Oh yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm watching this movie, and as per usual, my wife Lindsay is kind of half paying attention, but at this point, she's just watching it at the end. And when he shoots Candy's sister, and she goes, she she goes, I don't think she'd go flying that way. I said, she wouldn't go flying at all. <laughs> <laughs> and a couple of other funny things were only, there's two people, like Candy got shot right through the carnation or whatever, whatever was on his lapel. Like no blood, right? Just a hole appeared. No, no. They, I think blood. there's a little bit of blood. Yeah, there's a little as much as you would out. think. Yeah. Um, and then um, one of the Brittle brothers, same thing. He, yeah, he, he has like newspaper or a page yeah. of a book that's patched onto his shirt and, and it shoots it him right through that. No, yeah. Uh, no huge explosion. I like the way you die, boy. I do like that line. How do you guys feel? Okay, uh, this is a question I have, and I'll go first on this one. I've never really been a big fan of Jamie Foxx. I'll be honest. I he's fine, but I just never really dug him as a leading actor. I like him in this movie, um, but I I don't know. I I could see other people playing it. Uh, I'm not saying Will Smith necessarily. Do you guys think that this movie lives or dies on Jamie Foxx 
or do you think it lives or dies on Christoph Waltz? Hmm. Man, Manster, what do you think? Shit. I think it lives or dies on them together and their relationship. And they both do a fine job. I think, I think Jamie Foxx does a fantastic job. I can't really see anybody else being that character. Uh, he, he hits all the, all the right notes as Django, you know, like, like when they're at the part in the movie, when they're, when him and, and uh, King Schultz are together and they're, they're talking about Broomhilda and Schultz is telling him a story about Broomhilda and he's like a child. Like yeah. Django's like a child at that point, just wanting to learn and like awed by this story. And as he grows and as a relationship grows, he grows and his emotions grow. And it's, he did a great job. I really I, like him in this. I do agree with that part of it because he does seem like a different character in a good way from the beginning to the middle, from the point where he's a freed slave and he's being taught by Schultz to the point where he is now playing a role at Candyland. Yep. He obviously has gotten into comfort with that. An hour and six minutes. Christoph Waltz is in this movie. It's the longest amount of screen time anybody's ever been in a film up to that point. I could be wrong at this point now and won a best supporting actor uh, ask and won a best supporting actor Oscar for his role. Cause really he is not a supporting actor. He's like, he is a co-lead in this fucking thing. He's a co-lead. Yeah. Yeah. I think they do that sometimes when it's, you want to look at this movie and say, well, which one of them is technically the lead. So you say, ah, they're supporting each other. They're both a supporting actor. I yeah. can see that. I can see that. Um, to the point about Jamie Foxx, I'm not necessarily hot or cold on him. I'm really kind of medium on him. He's fine. I think he's good in some things and worse than others. Uh, I, I do think I have a hard time imagining a lot of those other names that we mentioned playing this role because Jamie Foxx can do, I guess, angry better than a lot of those actors. Like Will Smith, you don't picture being angry ever. You picture him being funny. You picture him being sad and dramatic. You don't picture him having the simmering rage underneath that Jamie yeah, Foxx right. just portrays so well in this. Kind of like Tom Hanks in Road to Perdition. Well, Tom, it's hard to, to believe that. No, nah, I see. I, I I like Hanks in that movie, but I get what you're saying. It's that some actors are geared, you know, yeah, some actors are more geared towards uh, one way or the other. Yeah, so this movie really hinges on their partnership, and King Schultz takes him, uh, you know, aside, rescues him from uh, James Four Roll Remar, and um, and <laughs> James Remar number one. James Remar number one. <laughs> Do you guys like how King Schultz just keeps going and killing people, and then just going, "We'll just wait for the authorities." Yeah, I, he's <laughs> hands up. I love the fact that he knows the system so well that he's not even worried about all the shit he's doing. It's just like, he just walks in somewhere. Other than you got to worry about that wild loose cannon out in the street, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Someone's going to do something just because they're nuts. I love, I love that whole bit, how he does that multiple times in the movie. Um, In pre-Civil War, the South though, I always kind of wondered his strategy of like, we're going to kill somebody, then we're just going to immediately surrender and explain what we did. Yeah. That might've worked before you had a black dude with you, but I wouldn't put as much faith in it now. <laughs> yeah. That's what I mean. Yep. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think King Schultz is, uh, is naive. I think he is, uh, maybe has a broader view of how things are. He knows that, you know, Django riding on a horse and all that stuff is going to get sideways looks. And you're absolutely right. Like, maybe doing some of this stuff while he's with Django isn't the best idea because unfortunately at that time, people are looking to shoot first and ask Mm -hmm. questions later. 
this isn't a movie that really lends itself to humor too much because of the subject matter, but some of the moments really hit. I got to be honest. I still love the moment with all the KKK guys. Oh yeah. Yeah, and, absolutely. <laughs> and it's hilarious. How the one guy is like, my wife did all these hoods for you. Ungr- <laughs> you ungrateful fucks. And, uh, if, you need rides away. if you need something for me, don't ask. Uh, I, I I love that whole bit where they're, they're talking about, you know, how they can't see out of their eye holes. And then, uh-huh again the dual role as we had tarantino at the end is the australian miner he is so also good. the uh the guy with the hood on who you never see him but it's his voice where he oh, says, okay maybe this time we do it without <laughs> and then <laughs> next time we get better ones I, next time we get better masks uh, then we get full regalia <laughs> yeah. I, like, I like the guy that, that he he goes uh nah i think we all think the bags was a nice idea, but not pointing any fingers. They could have been done better. Yeah. yeah. My wife spent her whole afternoon <laughs> cutting up 30, 30 pillowcases or whatever it was. Uh, yeah. And the, yeah. The best part of the whole thing was uh, when big daddy was riding away, he pulls his bag up. Like, I can't see shit. <laughs> now, do you guys uh, think again, kind of going back to what Stu said a second ago, where, King Schultz, you know, has got to now be a little bit extra vigilant because he's with a, a black person, right? And this is not the right time to. Do you think he would have ever let Django actually buy that blue outfit? Like, because it just seems like that is just calling like attention to himself. That weird, like, what is that? Is that like a schoolboy outfit? Oh, is it that was boy based, blue? That was based on a portrait, uh, a very famous painting. Yeah, yeah. It was like called Blue Boy or Little Boy. I blue think or so. Yeah, like yeah. Oh, okay. All right. I, I wasn't sure. I don't know if this is true or not because I didn't go back and watch, but I did read this at the end of the movie when he kills the rest of uh, Candy's funeral procession. The burgundy outfit he's wearing is the first outfit Candy's wearing in the movie. He steals his clothes. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I thought that was a good touch. I, I, I'd have to go back and see it again. But just thinking about it, when he first meets Candy, he's wearing a burgundy suit. <laughs> So they start going through and they decide they come up with their idea because we find out that Django has a wife, Broomhilda, um, who has was sold separately, as Stu said earlier, or uh, one of you guys said earlier. And they find out that she is through public records, by the way, which is so fucking crazy. <laughs> yeah, I know. Public records of this shit. Um, and it was all, you know, that's the yeah. thing. That's the thing that this movie, you know, I, I don't want to sound stupid or uneducated because obviously slavery was a thing, but when you watch something like this or, or, or see a documentary on it and it really hits home the fact that this was a full on supported legal thing, right? Mm-hmm. There's sales yeah. records. There's, you know, there's multiple times. Property. In, yeah. There's multiple times in this movie where people are referred to as property. It's so gross. Yeah. Um, but then Schultz literally needs to get bills of sale on Django and Broomhilda to prove that they're free people. And it, yeah, I mean, otherwise it's, you know, you don't have any proof and they're just going to go right back. Yeah, it's it's awful to think about. And especially when you think about like 150 years ago in the grand scheme of things, that's not even it doesn't that, long feel like that long ago. Yeah, no, yeah. that's 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 a that's a drop in water. Yeah, uh, I, I hope 150 years from now, we're way more advanced than we are, or at least way more forward thinking than we are today. If yeah. we're not, then fuck, we failed <laughs> or someone has <laughs> failed along the way. So essentially the entire middle section of this film is all about the act of trying to dupe Calvin candy into selling a Mandingo fighter 
right? So Django pretends to be uh, a Mandingo trainer slash expert, and King Schultz is a guy that wants to buy a Mandingo fighter. Their real goal is to try to get Broomhilda, who they find out is is one of Candy's um, slaves. Do you think at all that this entire body part of the movie could be trimmed down a little bit? Because I certainly do. But like the whole them being at Candyland, it just kind of I guess maybe this movie seems overlong to me. Stu, what do you think about that? Uh, I don't necessarily think that part needed to be trimmed down uh, to throw a shout out to another podcast. As of recording the countdown podcast who Paul and Wayne, we all love them. They're a great show. They Paul's been on your show, uh, your other show, Pina comics a couple times. They recently did an episode of the 10 worst plans in, in movie history. And I think this would have been in the running for one of those. Like, I don't understand this Mandingo plan of theirs. Yeah. It seems like, well, you can't just go up and say you want to buy a horse. You have to say you want to buy the farm and then you throw a weird <laughs> extravagant price at them and they, they have to listen to you. Couldn't they have just done the same thing with Broomhilda? Couldn't Christoph Waltz just have been like, hey, I heard you have a German speaking slave. I miss the mother tongue. I will give you an extraordinary price for her. It would have worked just as well. I think that right? would have worked perfectly, Stu. <laughs> yeah, like I this really whole do. Mandingo plan, it just seems so drawn out like i think the section of the movie works i mean the acting and you really get to see how terrible candy is and by the time he dies boy do you really want this character to die but the plan itself eh, it just doesn't make a lot of sense yeah okay i agree with that lloyd you feel the same way i do but i don't know what you would really trim out i mean you meet them during that fight in that gentleman's club, you know, you have to have the meeting meet and greet and all that stuff. And then they travel. So maybe the travel could have been shut, uh, shortened. I guess the travel is important yeah. because you have That's to see where the dog but, scene is. But yeah. you see the dogs and you see the really relationship with Walton Goggins and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. But perhaps think- it could have been shortened a little. You also do get the good moment of, I do like the moment where um, he has the conversation with the slave, you know, don't look yep. at me. And, you know, like he he's he's essentially, you know, you don't really see his struggle with it, but how hard that must be for him mm-hmm. to be seen at like like what's worse than, you know, a white slaver, a black slaver. Yeah. You know, like that's that's just got to be the worst for him to be pretending to be. And he pretends to be it for quite a while. I don't know what's worse. I don't know if their plan being so kind of up in the air and <laughs> and unstable is worse than the fact that Steven like rooting through a couple looks and realizing that what's happening is unplausible to me. So Steven, after we introduce uh, at dinner, we bring Broomhilda out and uh, the night before King Schultz or the before dinner, the King Schultz gets with her and tells her, we're here to rescue you. Essentially. We're going to buy you shows her Django. You know, they have this great little reunion moment and she gets put on the service uh, of the dinner and Stephen, right. who is who is this serpent, you know, essentially he is the he is the <laughs> he's the, an asp. He yeah, he is he's the every all the Ugh. slaves are afraid of him, you know, because he's the houseman and he is the only one that has kind of candy's ear as well. He catches a couple of little looks between Django and Broomhilda. And I think at one point when uh when Broomhilda is uh is uh intentionally uh what's the word humiliated uh and oh, that was Jang, yeah by, by candy makes you know at, oh, this is so fucking gross i feel like mm-hmm. as like dinner conversation 
you oh. know, he wants to show how how tough the Negro is. So he takes the the back of her dress off to show her whip marks. And, you know, it's it's terrifying. And Django is like reaching for his gun because he's about to fucking lose it. But I don't know. Did you guys feel that that bit was forced that Steven figures this out? Or I, I felt like it was a little forced. I wish that there was another. I, I'm, um, not a, I'm not a writer. I wish there was another way <laughs> that's like Steven found a photo or something. I well, would have felt go. better. All right, Lloyd. I'll go. Because uh, I, I definitely had some thoughts about that while I was watching it. Uh, but don't forget that one scene during dinner where Lorelei, the sister, said, oh, I do believe that Django has eyes for uh, Hildy or maybe it was maybe it was the other way around. Yeah. But that sort of came out of nowhere and that sort of brought things to light. And maybe Steven started paying more attention at that point. Plus, and one thing that I noticed, everybody noticed is you can't not notice, but it seems like nobody at the table noticed. Both have that, that yeah. scar on their cheek. I was wondering how nobody together. noticed that. How is nobody seeing that? And yeah. how is it not ever mentioned? Oh, the, the runaway so tattoo? Maybe, yeah, yeah, the little, yeah. yeah. They were both branded there. So maybe Steven did notice that, didn't say anything about it. I mentioned earlier in regards to Candy about how they did a, a good job telling when and not showing, describing Candy's character. I actually think in regards to Steven, it was a very good show, not tell, because you see who this character is and you realize Steven would never have gotten to the position he's in if he wasn't very cunning, if he wasn't able to parlay things that maybe other people weren't able to catch into things that he could utilize for his advantage. So I never really had an issue with that. I just kind of figured like, okay, that's his character. That's how he's gotten the status that he's gotten where he notices things. And he's probably been useful to Calvin in the past by saying, Hey, I've caught this, that, and the other thing. So I think it's just a, a, a subtle character development you know that's who he is that's how he's gotten to be the person he is because he's very smart because he's very intuitive so for me that actually did work that he just kind of caught up on it when no one else did because it really just fit in with what his character would have to be to survive in this world that's right and Can right. candy he's not looking for this at all he's so focused on mandingo and you know twelve thousand dollars for eskimo joe that he's not seeing any of this and like we mentioned earlier, Candy's a moron. <laughs> yeah, he is a moron. He certainly is a moron. And yeah, and you're right. I guess, you know, I'm, I'm going to step that back and say that it, it makes more like what you just said, how Stephen obviously has has given himself a position in this house. You know, he looks at it as his house. Like when yeah. they come back from the travel and Candy says, go make the room. He is straight There's up good like, dialogue that we can't repeat. Yeah, we can't repeat any of the dialogue in this movie. No, uh, absolutely which not. Is, which is fine, but you know, he basically says, "You're not going to let that blank sleep in the in the big house, are you?" Like, it's like, yeah, you know, it, it's it's so weird and so uh, such a weird time period to discuss anything yeah. well to to what lloyd said a little bit ago when we were talking about steven he said even the other slaves on the plantation all don't seem to like steven they're either afraid of him or they don't like him and i think again that plays into the whole like he's probably done this entire life he catches things and he tells candy and he takes it out on the slaves and i mean that's his role he's the one who knows things he's he's what uh the little dwarf guy from game of thrones of this movie yeah he drinks and he knows things we got to talk Calvin Candy's demise because it's, it's literally this movie between the ugliness of, of racism and slavery and all the things he's been doing. We want to see Django get Broomhilda back and we want to see this guy pay this whole movie at this point has been almost like 
you know, like getting your dick stroked. And then finally, when Calvin Candy finally dies, it's like just exploding everywhere, right? It's like the moment that this movie has been building up to since you meet this guy. By the way, at an hour in, he doesn't show up for an hour into the movie. Steven, yeah. Steven doesn't show up for an hour and a half. That's how you know this is a long fucking movie. And then but, there's still an hour to go. And there's an hour, <laughs> yeah. hour and a half to go. <laughs> but essentially, you cannot watch this movie and meet this character of, of uh, Calvin candy and not want him to fucking pay uh, because he deserves to pay yes. for his attitude, for, for, for his lifestyle, for what he chooses to do. And I think how he pays is, is in such a wonderful way. Manster, do you want to explain what like leads up to his death? So he gives, what is he writing a bill of sale? Yeah. Well, he, they, they catch them out. And they they essentially take them by gun, you know, and say, we're going to sell you, uh, Broomhilda. But now she's the price of Eskimo Joe, twelve thousand dollars. Yeah. And then you're going to get the fuck out of our out of Candyland. And I'm never going to see you again. By the way, the scene where he freaks out and smashes his hand on the glass. Oh, yeah. He actually smashed his hand on the glass. That blood. Is yeah, real. that was all unscripted. Oh. Oh, that wow. was amazing. And he, he finished the scene with fin- that cut. You can even see him picking pieces out of his hand. Ooh, yeah. Geez. Now, um, the only part I wasn't sure of, and I was glad that I read it. I know where you're going. Yeah. Is when he wipes the blood on Kerry Washington's face, I thought, right. boy, that's a real stretch. But apparently that was a second take and it was fake blood. Okay. Because okay. I thought, fake blood at that point. I thought, man, you could be a method actor, but once you wipe blood across someone's face, <laughs> you can't. You can't do that. You can't even in 2012. Back. You can't do that. You can't take that back. So yeah, 1984. He, you can't do that. In the, in the very in the very last scene of the movie when he gets killed, his hand is bandaged up because mm-hmm. he actually hurt himself. He also hurt himself with the hammer that he uses on the skull at one point, um, and they had to replace it with a foam hammer. So yeah. <laughs> So there's was a lot of where he hurt himself. I thought it was the hammer scene with the Mandingo fighting. Oh, it was. I'm he, sorry. he gave Big Ed or Big Fred a he hammer is... and it, the head came off or something like that. Yeah. And hit him. I'm sorry. Yeah. And that's why in the other scene, it's a foam hammer that he uses yeah. when he's when he's playing around with the skull. All right. So, yeah, they take them. Essentially, you're going to fill out a bill of sale. You're going to buy her. We're still taking your money and you're going to get the fuck out of here. Yep. That whole scene was incredibly tense because you know, something's coming, but you you don't know what, and they certainly have no idea what's coming. And and when he goes into, when candy goes into that, he he gets into character. He is a total badass, And you could believe that at that moment, he's really capable of doing anything. And then you see, what is he? um, He tells, he tells Schultz to do something and Schultz, is like so scared he's like do i have permission to lift my hands off the table to grab my billfold yes such an intense scene that is one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie there because he comes across as threatening for the first time yeah in the movie exactly. yeah he's less of a joke at that point or less of just a cruel asshole now right. he's actually a threat so Stu, what is it that pushes uh king schultz to his final action so after they complete the sale, they have the bill of sale, they've exchanged money. Candy insists that the, the deal isn't complete in that county unless they shake hands. And uh, King Schultz does not want to shake his hand. He's he's very openly uh, dismissive of Candy at that point and says, well, I insist that I do not shake your hand. I just want to say one of my favorite lines that he has in this is, uh, you know, and like you said, at this point, from the second the tables turn and they're the jig is up, uh, essentially 
he he's very uh transparent about his feelings for candy and when candy <laughs> offers him the white cake he goes i don't go in on sweets <laughs> i love that line I don't go in on sweets. Yeah. <laughs> All right. The way so, he said white cake was funny too. White. White. <laughs> he goes, white we'll cake. Be, we'll be serving white cake in the parlor. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Stu, he doesn't want to shake his hand, but Candy ain't going to take no for an answer, right? Yeah. Candy insists like, hey, if you leave without shaking my hand, this this sale is not official. We're going to shoot you. We're going to take Broomhilda back. We're going to do terrible things to her. So Schultz says, all right, you want, you want me to shake your hand? All right. And he sticks his hand out to shake his hand and out pops the little hidden gun that it's been shown that he has and shoots Candy through the flower. Right through the heart. And which, uh, and- I mean, you knew what was kind like you knew. Candy had to die in this movie. Candy had to die. There was no two ways about it. By the end of this movie, he had to meet a gruesome death. But boy, when you're watching that scene, you're just like, come on, Schultz, you're smarter than this. Just get out of this situation. Yeah, I, I yeah, think it was hard to watch him get yeah, just yeah. so easily killed by by Butch. Uh, that, that was I kind of wish they had come up with a different way. But well, he didn't have any other guns. It's a one shooter. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what does he say it before or after? I'm sorry. After. After, After you know, he shoots him, he said, I couldn't help myself or I, I couldn't resist. I couldn't resist, you know, and you're in on it with this character because, you know, I think a lot of us would have shot him, you know, no matter what the circumstances might have been. Um, this rolls into a huge gunfight. We kind of talked about this before. <laughs> I want to very- interrupt real fast. Yeah. And say, obviously, this was the first time I'd ever seen this movie. I didn't know how it ended. I knew various bits and chunks of this movie. I didn't know what happened and i genuinely thought during that scene i was like all right schultz is gonna begrudgingly put his pride aside he's gonna shake candy's hand and then they're gonna leave and be like all right now we have to kill all these motherfuckers and that's what's gonna come down to the the gunfight at the end so yeah it was i don't want to say it was out of character or anything but like lloyd said it was just so hard and so sad to just see what he does there because you just expect something smarter something better something different i guess you know it's a little a little gray about this whole thing is is that an act of betrayal or is that an act of valor because he knows he's gonna die as soon as he does that and now he's just left Django all by himself in a a plantation full of people that want to kill him just think it's selfish i think like you said he couldn't resist like he just despised candy so much he was like i gotta i gotta i don't know if i'm gonna be able to later but i know i can kill him now yeah it's just selfish he didn't think about the situation it was putting hildy and and django in and that's why he apologized because he knows it's like man it's a one in a million chance this is it this is my one chance we might not be able to come back here again you know this place is fortified pretty heavily no matter how good we are and this guy is right in front of me. It's the Gotta wild, do it. it's essentially the wild, wild west when people could just shoot people for being dickheads. <laughs> and you know? he probably has enough faith in Django at this point that probably Django can get out of it. I think that might be part of it. But when he apologizes, I think he also realizes that that's yeah. definitely, a, you know, he's, he's definitely hanging him out to dry as well. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I look at it as. King Schultz is a man of a certain level of uh, honor and he cannot live another day to see this guy like breathe air right. and he you know because really when you think about it yes he's apologizing to he Django abide. he can't abide he's apologizing to Django but the first person he's hurting more than anybody is himself because he knows the second I pull this trigger Butch is going to fucking put me through the wall which is what yep. he does so yeah blow me clear into the next room he does get blown clear into the next room <laughs> we, we have we have the gunfight and then 
Django gets captured. Uh, and then we get like fucking the next half hour, which we've already discussed <laughs> earlier. Um, so terrible. Why? Yeah, maybe we Why don't really you... need to talk about all that. No, we'll fast forward through it. Django is hung upside down. He's about to get castrated. He is not castrated because Steven walks in at exactly the right time. <laughs> I like Walter Goggins <laughs> saying like, well, good thing she didn't spare a second. Yeah. Uh, Steven comes in and explains to him that, you know, you have a fate worse than death coming to you. Um, and that is the story of you is what he says to him at the end. Right. He, which is also from. Yeah. What was that? That was from Kill Bill volume two. Kill Bill volume two. Right. And um, he essentially is telling him that we could hang you. We could kill you. We could do a million things. Uh, we're going to sell you to the LaQuint Dickey mining company who are going to have you break rocks for the rest of your short life and then throw you in the blank pit when, when they're done with you. Right. <laughs> uh, it sounds yeah. terrible. He gets sold along with some of the other slaves then we get this stupid nonsense with those cut with those characters it's it's terrible it's a stupid stupid scene we talked about it earlier i think quentin tarantino just wanted to blow himself up yeah very possible it's probably I yeah i i can't imagine what he thought of whenever he was making that scene yeah it's so, so extraneous and unneeded he gets on a horse which, by the way, I don't know if it was this horse or not, but I, I just thought this was a very laughable difference between us and movie stars uh, type bit of life. Um, they said that Jamie Foxx uses his own horse, his own named, horse named yeah. Cheetah, who he got for <laughs> Christmas the year before. <laughs> Jesus, yeah, I, I, I've never gotten a horse for Christmas. <laughs> um, so he rides the horse back all the way back to Candyland, and he basically gets back in time for uh, the remaining. Uh, the sister, Stephen, uh, a couple of the uh, of the slaves, Billy Crash, and maybe one other guy uh, to get back from Calvin's funeral. And he's waiting for them. And essentially, I guess in the original script, in the original script, he had already blown Candyland up. They come back to, to see what happened. And he gives each one of them a gun to make it a fair fight and then still beats them all. Okay. They changed it. Obviously that was either in the shooting script or it might've now here's the thing about this movie. Stu might remember. I remember, I don't know if you remember Lloyd or if you were not at that point reading, but dynamite put this out in comic book, comic book form back in 2012. They not only put this out in comic book form in 2012, but like certain things were different in it. The character of Ace Woody, we talked about earlier was in the comic book. And I think they said the ending was slightly different. So that might be the ending from the comic book. Also, a couple of years later, look this up. Dynamite had Django and Zorro. Yeah, <laughs> there, is, <laughs> there is. There is a Django and Zorro miniseries out there. He gives them all, all the weapons and then murders them all there uh, in a fair fight. That's not what happens in this version. In this version, he's waiting for them. They come back into the house and he essentially lets the, um, the two slave women go. Now, here's Lloyd. Did you catch this? Another great callback to Kill Bill. To kill Bill, yeah. When he uh, he's what he's talking to Stephen, he tells everybody they can go, except Stephen. You stay here, except for you, Sophie. Yeah, anywhere. <laughs> and it's the same, the same shot. Time. It's the same shot too. He's standing on the balcony, and Stephen's like walking towards the door. <laughs> yeah. Um. And then basically, he murders uh, everybody uh, that's left over. He shoots the sister into another uh, another planetary <laughs> system. <laughs> Sideways. He shoots uh, Walton Goggins. All eyes. All teeth. Uh. In the uh, in, I think the leg first, and then blows his balls off, and then the crotch, and then the crotch, and then he, what is he? Django, you 
blank son of a bitch. <laughs> Did Django. Uh, so all that's left is Steven. Kneecap Steven pretty harshly, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, both knees. Both yeah. knees. And, and Steven is, is motherfucking them and saying, this is Candyland, motherfucker. He yeah. is, Steven, one thing I like about Steven's character, right, Stu, is he's true not. True to the end. He's true to the end. He's true to the end. He's not. Yeah. You know, Candyland's been around a hundred years. It'll be around a hundred years more. You know all that stuff. <laughs> it's not going to be around a hundred years more though. Why, Stu? What? What is? What has Django done? Oh, he blows it up. Yeah, he has a big little rig set up with some dynamite over the doorway and big dramatic thing of the wick burning all the way down around the doorway. Do you think the last scene between him and Hildy seems? I don't know. It seems like it's in it from a different movie. I get it. I mean, where he sort of kind of looks up and makes a weird face and the moon's behind him. And well, he, you know, Hey there, little troublemaker. And then she's, she's like, Hey there, big troublemaker. troublemaker. She's, (laughs) she's never, I mean, I get it. She's happy. She's a free woman and everything. And then he's doing like the little, the little prancing with it, with his horse. Cheetah. I forgot about that. Yeah, he does the little dance. Yeah. I I get that it's a happy ending for them. It just feels like it's a little bit to me. It's a little out of place. It feels okay. It feels a little stew. Did you feel the same way at all? I'll be honest, it just felt Tarantino for me because I feel like everything in every Tarantino movie is out of place. So this just feels like one of those things where it's just like, all right, this is his cute little let's wrap it up and there should be a music swell. I it just feels like, you know. Uh, randomly in death proof things are black and white for a hot minute and it's just like why i don't know because that's what i felt about in this movie like why yeah, is this a tarantino happening? thing yeah just tarantino just does things yeah he's chaotic for sure there's definitely a, a large <laughs> level of chaos in his filmmaking all right so that's django unchained that's the story right there uh for a little bit of trivia i know we're going to get into tarantinoisms but i don't want to forget this uh broomhilda von schaft yep. uh it has been uh, said and Tarantino goes along with it that these are the great great grandparents of John Shaft. Watch your mouth, motherfucker. <laughs> oh, okay. Not another Tarantino film, but not another Tarantino he tied film. Tied it in there, but the uh, wonderful black exploitation film uh, from the nineteen uh, seventies, and yeah, supposedly this is the great grandparents of John Shaft. So yeah. Um. So Lloyd, let's talk about box office. Well, how did this thing do? back then let's talk about box you know what before that i just want to make just a couple of comments i had in my notes this is the first movie maybe the only one i'm not sure but the first movie of tarantino's with any nudity in it really so there's really? a scene with hildy coming out yeah. of the box yeah you see a little very, bit of very very brief yeah um, yeah and then there's the scene with the guy getting shot in the in the cabin full frontal of him I didn't even first time that. ever yeah oh the guy in the bathtub yeah that was stone I- cipher I thought, you know, that's one of the things I thought about the Wild West is like, what a what a relaxed time. Yeah, people bathe in front of other people. What a relaxed time. Like, you're literally in your cabin, right? And like, you're reading or playing cards. And then like, like Stu's just in the fucking barrel washing yeah. down. Like, and that's just yeah. normal. It's like, okay. Right next to the bucket that you shit in every yeah. day. Pooping over there. The, sh- <laughs> the shit bucket and Stu over there washing up. <laughs> All right, so let's do it. Let's talk about some Tarantino-isms here. What did we uh, see in this movie, Manster, that uh, connects to other films? All right, so a couple of these I had to stretch my imagination a little bit, but same sort of stuff. So the trunk scene, there's no trunks in these, you know, in this (laughs) time period. Uh, The trunk scene, uh, 
you could say Django hanging upside down, uh, talking to Steven and Billy Crash, where he's looking up there and it looks like you're looking up out of a trunk. It's easily, I mean, he's never done it again, and it might be the only time in cinema history there's ever been a scene where a character's talking through someone else's legs while they hang upside down. Yes. <laughs> Steven, Steven is, is talking to him at one point. He's framed in between Django's legs. I thought, you've never yep. seen this shot in anything else before. Absolutely. I mean, maybe in some porn. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The foot fetish. It lives on, but very, very subtly. Uh, the only thing I could find was just, you know, barefoot slaves. Okay. That's right. it. Uh, the corpse POV scene. So a dead person looking up, uh, although not yet dead, uh, little Raj, uh, one of the brittle butter, brittle brothers, uh, he's looking up at Django before Django kills him. So you get that corpse scene, the 360 shot, uh, during the dinner, there's a 360 scene, um, with Calvin God's eye point of view, looking where it's just looking straight down. That happens after the shootout in Candyland. black and white suit. I'm going to say Steven, basically he was dressed up in black oh, and white yeah. garb. Yep. Uh, the torture scene, you see Django and uh, Hildy both getting whipped. Uh, the diner scene, uh, I'll equate to the tavern scene that's in Daughtry, Texas. Chris Daughtry, Texas. Yeah, Chris Daughtry. <laughs> uh, the car scene, uh, is the, the stagecoach ride to Candyland. And men being shot in the crotch, which... <laughs> I believe started in Inglorious Bastards. I, I don't recall before then, uh, but it continues here when uh, Stone Cipher gets shot point Blake in the balls. And then also Billy Crash, like you just said. Billy Crash's junk flies up in the air. <laughs> like, when, he, <laughs> when he shoots him, you just see something just jump some in meat. the air. Yeah. Some meat just kind of Some fucking up. random meat just jumps in the air. <laughs> Uh, in the Mandango Mandingo fight scene in the Gentleman's Club, Django can be seen uh, opening a bag of tobacco with a red apple logo on it. We already talked about, and that will be the story of you, which ties back into Kill Bill. Uh, now, I mentioned this in the last one, but it ties into this movie. So Captain Craig Coons of the Smitty Bacall gang uh, is an ancestor of Captain Coons, the Christopher Walken character in Pulp Fiction. Yep. In another member of the Smitty Bacall gang's name was Gerald Nash. Marvin Nash. <laughs> now, there Marvin was also- <laughs> Nash. <laughs> I'm dying here, Marvin. <laughs> Marvin uh, he is Nash. the great, great, great. I'm sorry. He is the great grandfather of Gerald Nash, who is in Natural Born Killers. And Marvin Nash, who was in Reservoir Dogs, Gerald Nash and Marvin Nash are cousins. Wait, who was in, Res- who was in Reservoir Dogs again, Lloyd? Marvin Nash. Marvin Nash. <laughs> Love that guy. Kirk, uh, the actor's, uh, actor's name, by the way, Kirk Balls. Kirk Balls. It's like Kirk B-A-L-T-Z. <laughs> I was recently watching, like a month or two ago, I watched Face Off, and he's got a minor role in it. I'm like, that looks like Marvin Nash. <laughs> and then I looked it up, and it's like, he's done two movies ever. Marvin Nash. Face Off and Reservoir Dogs. <laughs> And I'll say one more, although this is just a theory um, that oh, we're getting there is. We already talked about this one in Kill Bill Volume Two. This the uh, grave that Uma Thurman was buried in. Yes, uh, said Paula Schultz, and it is theorized that Paula Schultz is the wife of King Schultz, even though he's not married in this film at all. It's just a theory, right? And she, I think, in the the grave said eighteen ninety eight, which would be. 
40 right. years after this, but yeah, no, very, very possible. A couple of, um, we don't really talk about mistakes a lot, but there's a couple, uh, I read dynamite wasn't invented for another 10 years. Yeah. I heard. Uh, a little okay. bit. Yeah. And then there was one other, Oh, the rifle, the sniper type rifle that yep. he uses yeah. along with Django is a model like eight years to, it, it was made eight years later. Too early. Yep. Yeah. And that, I mean, that stuff's going to happen, but I just, yeah, that stuff funny. doesn't bother me for some odd reason. It's, it's historical fiction. Yeah. <laughs> Emphasis yeah. on the fiction. Yeah, I'm fine with that. All right, let's go into the uh, box office. How did this thing fare in the year of our Lord 2012? And uh... well, this thing had a $100 million budget, biggest budget. Wow. In the opening weekend. I guess because it which, was like eight years long. They just had to pay for yeah, all the, the film. <laughs> it was eight years long. So it made $30 million on opening weekend. But I'm going to give you a couple other. Uh, couple other things because it was released on christmas day which was on a tuesday which was technically past the weekend so on that day it came in second it made 15 million to les mis les miserables oh, which made Jesus. 18 million because i think more people were wanted to see that i guess than a movie about slavery yeah on christmas I, I, day do you want to cry for christmas or do you want to be pissed mis, off for christmas? you know it's not much better <laughs> Hey kids, who wants to hear the N word 190 times? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Push that into the whole weekend. Uh, so that weekend, Jack Reacher was number five. Parental Guidance was number four. Les Mis was number three. Django Unchained was number two at 30 million. And The Hobbit, an unexpected shitty film, was number <laughs> one that week. What uh, is what is parental guidance? I have no clue. When no you said idea. That, I, it must be a kid's thing. Yeah. So I'll give you the year and I'm going to give you like I did on the last uh, QT episode worldwide. All right. So worldwide, Django Unchained came in at number 16 that year at 425 million. The most. Oh, I assume film. you mean the next year, not in the six days that it was released with that year to go. Correct. Okay. Correct. <laughs> Movies released in that year. Uh, Les Mis came in at 15, so it did beat it out. Uh, so number 10 that year, Men in Black 3, 624 million. The Hunger Games, number nine. Madagascar 3, Europe's Most Wanted, number oh, eight. Jesus. You're a big fan of that, Stu? I have never seen any of the Madagascars. <laughs> I didn't even know there were three. How about this next one? The Amazing Spider-Man, number seven. <gasps> I love that. I yeah. love the first one. I have no shame in that. It's a great movie. Here's another one. You admit you admit you love it. The Twilight Saga Breaking Dawn Part 2. Part two. I've never seen any of them, unfortunately. <laughs> I actually read chunks of Breaking Dawn when it came out because I was working in a bookstore. I remember unboxing it and just being like, all right, what happens in this book? And I was like, oh, they eat a vampire out of this lady who's pregnant with it. That's great. That's oh, righty. Oh, okay, I didn't know then. that. All right. Number five, Ice Age, Continental Drift. Now, it's funny that you say that because when Stu, I, I, I saw Madagascar one, remember nothing about it. Ice Age, there's like 90 of those movies. Yeah, yeah that's Ice another Ages. franchise that there's a ton of and I've never seen any. I, I like saw the first, first one. one. I saw yeah, the first, first one years ago. It was fine. But yeah. like literally, there's got to be nine of those fucking things. Yeah. Uh, number four, The Hobbit, an unexpected shitty film. <laughs> number three, The Dark Knight Rises. Ah. Number two, Skyfall. Okay. All right. And you know, number one, number one, 2012. 2012. Oh, uh, Avengers? Well, yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 1.5 billion. Wow. I wasn't sure if Avengers was 12 or 11, but I figured I'd take a stab there when you were so certain we'd know. 
You well, when, he, when he said that, I immediately went to the Force Awakens, but that was later. That was like 15 or so. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So another thing we didn't mention, um, nominated for Academy Awards for Best, Best Picture, Best Supporting Actor, Christoph Waltz, Best Original Screenplay, Best Cinematography, and Best Sound Editing. And it won for Best Supporting Actor and Best Original Screenplay. Yep. And it was his second year in a row winning, right? Or no, not second year in a row, second time in a row uh, winning that. No. Correct. Hold Hold on. Hold on. No, none of that. It was his second role in a Tarantino movie that he won that award for. That's right. He won it for Hans Landa and he won it for King Schultz. Couldn't be two more opposite guys. Yeah, that's pretty snazzy. I actually yeah. didn't know he won for either of those. I tend to not pay too much attention to the Academy Awards. So that's interesting to know. All right. So let's talk ratings. We're at that point. Stu, you've been on Pine of Comics. You know how we do it. Zero to five quarter scale <laughs> is in there. Boy, I have not really thought much about my rating for this film at all. Even up until I don't I tend not to. <laughs> I, I, I kind of watch the movie and then kind of let our conversation kind of bring things out. You know, I, I, I like to let it like kind of, you know, feed that. So I'm going to go first this time. We'll have Stu go last because we have to find out if it's the one or not. This comes after an incredible movie, right? Glorious bastards, which yeah. is hands you down. You gave a 4.75. Yeah. I, I just yeah. couldn't give it a five, but it's, it's, <clears throat> it's so high. It's such a great movie. It was so great to rewatch that again. I enjoyed rewatching this. But I tell you right now, it doesn't have that same factor. Nazism and slavery are both incredibly ugly things. For some reason, maybe because there's less straight out Nazism in Inglorious Bastards, I feel it's an easier watch mm-hmm. than this one. This one, the slavery and all that stuff is really fucking in your face. And again, I'm not saying turn your head from what really happened, but it's just ugly. And it's a long movie and it's kind of it's kind of hard to watch these characters after a while. I do like the cast. I think it's a good cast. Um, Half hour too long. Easily. Stu said it right. Perfectly. They could have added things in that we talked about that would have made it a little bit more of a well-rounded movie. Uh, Instead of like that whole Laquin Dickey mining scene, which is just fucking stupid. (laughs) I don't like that at all. I almost feel like this one's right there in the middle for me. I'm just going to go with a, I think this one's like a three point. It's a three. I'm going three. Oh, I'm going flat three. I enjoy this movie. I like it. It's well-made, but it's definitely not. If So we're, we've been doing the show for a while now. If you threw all the Tarantino movies in front of me right now and said, pick one, you know, pick, pick a couple to put like that. You're going to watch much later and pick ones you want to watch right away. This is going in the much later pile for me. So I'm going to go, I'm going to go with a three. It's a solid three. This is a well-made movie too long. Yeah. Manster. What do you got? What did you give death proof? I think you gave death proof a two and a half. 2.75. Wow. Yeah. That's wow. That doesn't, (laughs) that just doesn't make sense to me. Well, you give it what you want, but that, that doesn't, you give it what you want, but you're wrong. This doesn't feel like it's a quarter, a quarter point. This is a better movie than death proof for sure. A hundred percent. But this doesn't have Vanessa Ferlito's little tummy, like, <laughs> and that and that lap dance scene. And that lap dance. I, I don't know. I don't know what it is about this movie. It just I saw it when it came out. On I didn't see it in the theaters. I saw it on on a, on DVD. I bought it years ago, and I've never thrown it in again. And on watching it again, three point two five. 
I'm I'm only going to change it because you're right. It does not belong that close to death proof, okay. but it's still a 3.25. No higher than that. No, you are right. You are right. Will, John will not budge any further. No, I think this is a, is this the first time we've changed a rating? First time I've ever changed the rating. Yeah, Three, okay. I, I, you're right. You're absolutely right. And I can admit Lord right. bullied you into it. No, 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 no. He, no. I, I, I saw the. I'm like Todd Rundgren. I saw the fucking light and you're right. It's 2.75 and three are too close, but this is a 3.25 at best for me. All right, All master. Right. What do you got? All right. Well, you know, I don't know if I've ever mentioned this. I may have, but the last Tarantino movie I saw in the theaters was actually Kill Bill. So it's been a while since I've seen one in the theater. I didn't see this one until less than a year ago is the first time. Oh, wow. I mean, I, I think maybe in the year of our COVID is when I first saw it. And um, I liked it with the first time I saw it. I think I, I texted you after. I'm like, I really like Django. Uh, I certainly like it more than both of you guys. I'm sure of that. Um, I'm going to go higher than that. I think the film gives, you know, a pretty good, it keeps you, it gives a string of like thrilling little scenes and sequences, you know, moving on from one to the next, it doesn't really slow down too bad. And I think all the, all the acting in it, you know, the cameos and the Don Johnson's, everything works good. I don't think anything doesn't really work until we get to the end there. Um, you know, he gives his sharp dialogue is, you know, violent and stuff like that. And that's always good. I think, Waltz, uh, Christoph Waltz is, is nearly as good as he was in Bastards, but not, not quite, but nearly. Uh, like I said before, Jamie Foxx hits all the right notes. And DiCaprio is clearly having fun playing against type. Yeah, he's really, he's enjoying his role in this movie. He yeah. may have hated the character, but boy, he seemed like he was chewing all the scenery with it. Yeah. Yep. As much as I think it could be shortened and, you know, certain things do take away from it, I'm not going to hit it that hard. And I'm going to give it, uh, ooh, I'm going to go a, a point higher than you, 4.25. High. Fucking high. Maybe. I like it. I think it's a good movie. <laughs> All right. 4.25 from the Manster, 3.25 from me. And by the way, I want to mention something you just said, Manster. I think that Christoph Waltz is as good in this movie as he is in Inglorious. But the difference is, is his character in Inglorious is like magnified to a thousand you know what i mean so yeah he is yeah he is as good in both movies but his character in inglorious is so it's the wrong I think word he's to such use. a shitty character and you like him anyway he's so it's the wrong word to use i just can't think of the right word he's so flamboyant in that yeah. role that yeah, no, that's a good word that he's works. so charismatic he yep. he shines in that role yeah and and king schultz is much more of a laid-back character but like yep. the little the little like even like his physical motions in this with the, the mustache, you know, kind Oh yeah. Of the mustache twirl and the twirling <laughs> and the, and the brushing his face constantly. Um, little things like that. I, I really love. So I, I just wanted to comment on that. I think he does a great job in both. It's just the character in one is a juicier character than the character in this one. All right. This is where we got to find out if it's a 1.0. All right. <laughs> I was going to say, all right. So I said, I have two 4.5s, two 1.0s, a 3.5 and a 2.5. You guys are both locked in on thinking this is one of my 1.0s. I am. I, I thought it was a 2.5 at first, but then after hearing you uh, say gonna, some stuff, I'm going to be honest. I don't think it's your 1.0 anymore after we talked, but 
just for I'm not going to guess as what it is. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to say two five. All right. <laughs> All right. I'm going to actually admit this is one of my four point fives. Oh, what? up. If if you took the mining scene out of this movie, I think it's perfect. Yeah, it's I was I was sitting on my couch watching this movie and I was sitting upright the entire time for like two and a quarter hours. Just I was engrossed in this movie. I thought everything about it was fantastic. And yeah, I wrote about this on my letterbox. I said, that's what's going to make me so sad is the first thing I think about when I think of this movie in the future is boy, that tacked on bit with the mining company was so bad. But until that point, I loved this movie and I genuinely thought like, wow, okay, there's going to be one of these I'd like more than Inglorious Bastards. I mean, the acting was so great. Django is just, he goes through a legitimate transformation through the movie that you see. And Christoph Waltz, as you said, he's as fantastic in this as he was in Inglorious Bastards. And then when you finally do, when, when everything gets built up for so long and you finally meet Leonardo DiCaprio, he is as despicable as you want him to be. No, I, I thought this movie was great and I'm always going to take away that ending from it. But man, like if, if it just ended when it should have ended, this could have been a five. All right. I gotta, I gotta raise my hand here. Okay. I have 4.5 written down on my notes. I dropped it a quarter because you guys convinced me about the ending. I was going to say when I was watching it in my head, it was a five or at least a 4.75 until that mining stuff. And boy, that mining stuff really hurt me. But uh, I mean, I, when I am just sitting up, not leaning back on the couch, not snacking, not playing on my phone, just sitting up and being engrossed in a movie, even when it blows off the last, even when it blows off the last half hour, man, like it's still really fun fucking good yep. I just, uh, yeah I john just, boy I, you you really are the least yeah. I, I'm, I am i honestly i it's not a bad movie i just don't think it's his you know and now Stu, you said something there i want to clarify sure was was this better than inglorious bastards Stu? no because inglorious bastards never hits a moment where like there's no part of inglorious bastards inglorious bastards is the only tarantino movie where there's not like a solid half an hour where i'm just like bored now okay and so right. Inglorious Bastards to me is the one that he just nailed everything right. I don't tend to give movies on a first watch a five. I imagine if I watch Inglorious again, I'll give it a five. Yeah. But I've only right. seen I'm it I'm changing. Once. I'm back up to 4.5. <laughs> History has been made. Two people changed their votes. Two people. But, you're, but remember, your 4.5 ain't his 4.5. Maybe your 4.25 yeah, is his well, 4.5. I had 4.5. That's what I was going to say until, uh, until you guys could talk me down from the ending. <laughs> all right, so let's just solidify our fucking ratings here, all right? right. Stu <laughs> goes 4. 4.5. 4.5. 4.5. 4.5 for me. 3.25 for me. Okay. I want to throw it out there now. I want to throw out my... Are you guys curious about what my 1.0s were? Oh, well, I am now. Yeah. Uh, Death Proof was okay. definitely a 1.0. And I, you guys will give me shit for this. All Tarantino fans will give me a shit for this. Uh, Jackie Brown was unwatchable. Oh, yeah, oh boy. Yeah. No, your opinion. I turned it was, it was better watched, than people think. I watched two hours of Jackie Brown and turned it off. And I mean, that was a big fucking uh, sunk cost fallacy for me. But I was just like, I can't even keep up with this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I hate Jackie Brown, man. That was terrible. Well, then you don't want to have to have a PhD to understand the plan. 
Yeah. Well, you know, uh, at time of recording, you don't want to listen to this week's uh, on the QT because it's Jackie Brown. Uh, so I know I saw it came out today and I was just like, do I want to watch them slurp off of that movie? I don't know. We do, too. It's a, it's a good one. Right? I can but, imagine. No, I hated that. I have Reservoir Dogs as my 2.5 and Pulp Fiction's my 3.5. Two point, oh, my. OK. All right. Enough. <laughs> enough. All right. Stu, tell everybody where they can find you and tell everybody all about your podcast and all that good stuff. Uh, yeah, the website, swoproductions.com and uh, at Twitter, swoproductions. Uh, on Twitter, I pretty much just BS all day, talk about food, post random stuff about that. Uh, my website is new pop culture articles every day, comic book stuff, stuff talking about Pop-Tarts, stuff talking about movies, whatever's going on. And yeah, the, uh, the podcast comes out the 1st and 15th of every month. We do a randomly drawn comic book movie uh, i've had both of you on those episodes haven't aired to this point but uh you guys you know how it is you give me three random numbers i match them up on my list and tell you here's the three movies you chose and then you guys tell me which one we're gonna watch lloyd and i uh coincidentally picked from the same uh same the same trilogy the same trilogy <laughs> That's right. of movies yeah we won't tell you what until until uh, they come out yeah, all like right you said today's episode you guys had on the qt come out today i had an episode come out today it was uh yeah on akira yeah, I'll still oh, listen I to it. I gotta get that one. You know, you might not listen to Jackie Brown, but I'll still listen to you. So, uh, <laughs> you bastard. All right, Stu, thank I'll you so much. I'll listen to it eventually. I'll just be unhappy. Thank you so much, Stu, for coming on. And it was exciting. Thanks, Stu. You're the only guest we've had uh, that did not see the movie prior. So, I oh, really? I oh, yeah, no. Cool I too. watched it for the first time this week. All right. It's a total 3.25. Anyways, Manster, <laughs> who are, or what movie are we talking about next week? Next week, we are talking Hateful Eight. Which I know eight. less than nothing about. I know oh. the title. That's it. You think this one's long? <laughs> that, <laughs> oh, God, that yeah. one is longer. Uh, we We're have, talking about the uh, release version, not the Netflix version. Yeah, the ne- Netflix broke that up into a mini series for some weird fucking reason. Like I don't know. Or whatever. No, no, no. It's the same. It's <laughs> it's maybe slightly longer. It's like four or three 50 minute episodes. But um, okay. Yeah. So we will have Mike Field uh, from Forgotten Entertainment. The Godfathers of on the QT. Godfather, yeah. Also on uh, Forgotten Cinema and yet another Marvel or yet, I'm sorry, yet another MCU podcast. He'll be joining us. We're recording that in a couple days. So until then, next time, Lloyd, what do we do? Last chance, fancy pants. (laughs) I'm Lloyd. I'm John. See ya. Uh Oh, <laughs> he's, I was going to say, I'm not part of this, but I'm Stu. <laughs> <laughs> You're part he's, of it. He's part of it. Stu, see you later. See you. <laughs>